Hello, and welcome to Educational Triage, where we discuss issues in alternative education. This is a discussion about teaching by teachers, for teachers, and others who are interested in the alternative education world. We hope you find today's episode relevant, engaging, and useful. And if you do, please subscribe. I'm Tony Hunt, and I'm here to help guide you with the help of my friends, Christy and Philip. And welcome back to another rousing edition of Educational Triage. And I am once again joined by the lovely Christine Goodell. Hello. And Philip Summers. Aloha. So anyway, how are you all doing this week? Great. Better. The weather is getting warmer. Very happy. Good stuff. Oh, good. Just swell. Oh, perfect. And there's snow in the forecast. We, right. And it's, <laughs> and it's springtime. In yeah. mid-April. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pacific Northwest. Anyway, so this week, I was doing some reading, and I received my copy of the Hetchinger Report, and they were talking about how math scores are going down on on the tests and it, it i found that rather interesting so i thought i'd do a little bit of digging and back in october was when they was when a lot of this came out and it seems as though philip you and i talked and and christy i know that you were in on this about the uh how algebra 1 scores more students are doing worse in algebra one and they're needing more remediative work in order to get through algebra one and it's um interesting because that seems to be the crux of a matter at least we here in alternative ed find that maybe we get seniors who need two and a half to three credits of math by for their senior year because they haven't passed any math classes by that time and so i and we looked at the data and that's pretty much standardized across the us as far as algebra one goes and what what is going on with that how is it not happening but then we take a look at the math scores and there's some there's some other questions about reading scores as well but um, that may come up in our conversation today, but I sort of wanted to touch base and see if we could dig in and come up with some, maybe some reasons why students are not doing so well. They could be doing, the the grades seem to be normalized, but, and this is all pre-COVID, by the way, this mm-hmm. is all pre-COVID. So this is, a lot of this data comes from 2019. Right. So, okay. So why, what seems to be the issue here with students not being able to test on, you know, algebra and math and, and geometry, et cetera? What's going on with that? Christy, you're the math goddess here. So is the big question. Walking through. <laughs> walk through math. Um, so is the big question about like, why is the trend that the scores are declining or thoughts mm-hmm. about how we can fix it or all of the above? 
I think we need to look at all the above. Um, I've seen and read some people who have some ideas of remediation and how to turn it around. But then I've also spoken to some people who claim that they have that in place and they're still seeing the decline. So it's a bit of an enigma. So why don't you take us through? It's You know, there's it's interesting because math is a subject unlike others that you have you have to master the steps in order to be progressed whereas in other classes or subject matters you know like at the high school level if you don't do well in one history course you can still continue to participate in other social studies classes and i'm kind of talking at the high school level now um but aside from world language Those are kind of the two areas of content where you really need to know the first year in order to go to the next one. Um, And so the other thing I think that has been happening that I noticed as a high school math teacher is it's hard for these students to adjust to middle school you have to multiple you have to memorize so much stuff you have to memorize your multiplication facts you have to memorize your addition facts you have to memorize how to use positive and negative numbers and it's just all this you know there's lots of different nicknames like you know um just drill and skill and it's just rote memorization just be able to retrieve it retrieve it retrieve it and a lot of times they want you to not use calculators they want you to remember all this stuff you don't use your tools um and it's just very fact-based And then we get to our high school curriculum and it's very um, real world applications. We, we do have the formulas, right? You've got your basic order of operations and formulas and equations, but then when you start going into the more like we used to call them word problems, right? You've got these real world applications, these situational based math problems and the kids, it's a new way for them. And they're like, I don't know how to do this, right? Just give me the formula and then I'll solve it. Or what do I punch in my calculator? Um, And we keep trying to tell them like, you you know, this is all situational. I don't walk into Home Depot and hand the guy an equation and then he solves it for me to figure out how much paint I need, right? Like I have to go and have all the information and figure out a way to solve it. And that is just a very hard pivot for a lot of students to be able to master from middle school, where it's just such a, we've talked about in previous episodes, you just sit, the teacher spits the information to you, you have to memorize it, and then you spit it right back, like your multiplication facts. And then here at high school, we're asking them to really do those the other episodes we talked about 21st century skills, where it's like, can you do problem solving, that analytical part of solving a problem and what information do you need and what are the components in a word problem and it's really hard for them. Um, So I think that the classwork sometimes hasn't really changed or evolved from the different levels of education. And that's just one little piece of the pie. I think the other thing too is the how our assessments evolving. Like we, you know, we still are probably doing really good ways of teaching the math and having these hands-on visual learning but then we still have these very traditional math tests, especially on like formalized, like the Mm -hmm. ACT and the ACT, right? You are given the problem and then you bubble in the answer. You give the problem and then you bubble in the answer. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's a big issue as well. 
So are we talking about? I know lots, hold on lots a there to unpack. Are we talking about? <laughs> well, here's what I'm hearing, and I'm just going to break it down to this. So we are looking at students are ingesting information in the middle mm -hmm. school, and then they need to digest that information, and it needs to go to all the specific organs, in a sense, and process in the body in order for it to actually work for them. Is that sort of a really facile way of putting it out there? And if they can't process that, then the then it's not going to function properly in their system. Yes. I know we kind of switched from math kind to the started. digestive system. So I was trying to like, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to think, you know, how do we, because they, they get all this information and now you want them to process it and come up with a product mm -hmm. in a sense. And um, so they're trying to make the connections. Correct. Yes. Okay. And I have yeah. a deeper question on that one. My question is this, <clears throat> if it, it whose responsibility is it ultimately to, to help the student make that transition? And by that, I mean, um, that's, that seems like a pathway to learning that is different from other disciplines. And um, that's a way that's a way to, to learn that I think a lot of students don't understand. Um, so where's the curriculum for that? Um, is that, that seems to me that a lot of students are left kind of hung out to dry with that. They don't understand that that's the way they're supposed to do it. They're just kind of left to assume that. And I don't think that's made clear to them by mathematics teachers. They're just kind of- Can you be more specific? Through. Well, I, I think that they're not taught how to learn math. They're just taught math. I think, so I guess I kind of agree and disagree if it's possible to do that, because I think that the instruction of the math is there and it's solid and it's been continuous. But I think like what is happening sometimes within your classroom or your school and then what's reported on this, like, sorry, they're testing the speakers. That's <laughs> going through. And so what's happening in the classroom and the work that is being done and then the national news or like the, how it's reported is evaluating them in a different manner. And I think sometimes those are not moving and changing at the same pace. So I'm doing wonderful, incredible curriculum. We're reviewing, we're, we're um, really teaching them how to do that situational math and how do you pull it apart? And there's different ways to get to one answer. It's not always going to be this, like everyone's just like, we all do it the same, right? Like there's different ways to come to problems. And that's the big thing that we're doing in our math curriculum at the high school level. And then how can you go into depth? But then you still are going to these assessments like, you know, ACT, the, um, the smarter balance, like these, right. and those have not I feel evolved at the same pace. They're still very traditional, very formulaic. Right. Right. And so mm. they I explained to, I explain mm -hmm. to students like this, when you get into the workplace, <clears throat> regardless of where it is, you're going to learn to do the math that you need to do. For example, right. when I was a paramedic, I could take a thousand milliliters of lactate or 500 milliliters of D5W 
and mix in like five milliliters of a certain drug. And then I could mix that up and then deliver uh, a certain dose of that drug per minute based upon how many drops were titrated through the chamber and the, the gauge of the needle. I could do that on the top of my head on the fly and deliver that drug on the way to the hospital, no problem. Right. I can't do it now, but I could do it then. And I'm a mathematical idiot, you know, but I learned to do that really well. And I tell kids that and they go, wow, that's crazy. And I go, yeah, I can. I was like, okay, eight drops a minute. Boom. Just like that. Yeah. And that it was real easy for me because I needed to know that math. And that's the way it'll be for you. If you have a complicated thing you need to do, you operate a, a piece of machinery, you'll know that math because it matters. Right. And they go, oh, I get it. Yeah. I go, you don't use it all, but you will use math. Right. Like instead of, and that is, that is so hard, I think. And that's why the scores keep changing, right? Because we have to shift from this, here's problem A and here's formula A and here's how you solve it. But then in life, I, now I'm over here in problem situation B, I don't know how to apply the formula, right? So we need to teach students right, how to yeah. think conceptually and do that real world math applications part. However, right, then yeah. I mean, our school's doing, we just had it last week. Hey, by the way, we're going to do, um, uh, all, everyone's going to take the same math test. Boom. And you just take this test and that's the score that's going to be shared with the state. And this is our average on how kids are doing. So then do teachers teach to the test because we want them to perform well. And that may not, yes. you know. Uh, Absolutely. Because that's what you want the children. That's the that's the target you're reaching. Or that's the bar that's been Obviously. set. Kids are being successful if they meet this yeah. this score on this test. But I'm over here saying I want my exactly. kids to that's be able the to figure out. Success. Yeah. Yeah. I want them yeah. to be able to have that deductive reasoning. I know the math. I have this situation. Mm -hmm. I can figure out the parts that I do know, and what do I need to figure out in order to solve this problem? And that can be at a when I said, yes, you teach the test, I didn't say, yes, I'm advocating yeah. to that. I'm saying, yes, obviously. That's right. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where that differentiation yeah. hits. Yeah. Like, you know, at the IB level, right? Like we have teachers who are doing like really hard, hard, you know, upper level math, you know, analytical, and you've got calculus and mm -hmm. stats and, and they need to be able to figure out how to solve their problems. Just as important as the students who are taking more of like that personal finance, financial math. How do you budget? Here's, here's your income and here's what you are saving for. Yeah. Right. And then they're like, what's the formula? I'm like, ah! right. And then essentially, I think, are we expecting um, too much math out of the average student? No, I think what you said earlier is that why every student may, cause that's the age old question. When am I ever going to need to know point slope formula? Right. And you're right, not every student in my math class is going to use point-slope formula for the rest of their lives. However, they are going to have situational math. I have this much gas in my car and I have this much money to pay for my gas. How far can I travel before I have to, what's my budget, right? Or like for- um, Does that require algebra too? Well, I mean, it, it requires you to be able to sometimes figure out how to convert from decimals to in, right, in percents. And if you, I can do that, and I couldn't even approach algebra too. 
And then, you know, figuring out, making predictions and being able to say, hey, if I have, you know, if my bank account or my investment is earning this much money, but it's compounding interest, how much money will I have when I want to retire? Right? Still can do that without... And there are actually calculators that can do that on the internet. Yeah, but you got to figure and out. I actually, I know investors that do that. They just pop off the calculator in the But internet you still need to be able to they know. They don't even do it by hand anymore. You need to know if you're putting in the right it's information. built into the software. But you still yeah. got to know the information that you're putting in and not putting the wrong information in the wrong categories. Well, they box it in now. I mean, there's software that does those basic categories, you know. Um, yeah, I, I guess... I'm saying algebra one, maybe. I don't know about algebra two. Geometry, maybe. I calculus. I mean, I know that once the kids are getting past algebra one, they're making classes sort of conglomerations for a lot of kids. They're revisiting concepts of algebra in a lot of ways and, and doing some geometry. I know it's a big stretch for, it used to be for the alternative kids. That third year was sort of, right. sort of interesting really interesting um a lot of it was sort of review of advanced sort of algebra one concepts and maybe some geometry stuff um it was kind of a patchwork and especially since the resources also weren't there that might be one of the reasons that yeah. the kids and the scores are going down i think too. the other thing that I feel is being recognized is that math doesn't really need to be compartmentalized so much because the, you know, geometric parts and statistics and the algebra don't just happen in a silo. You need to be able to, at some levels, understand how those relate to each other. And so like that has been kind yeah. of a shift in a lot of districts, including ours. We're not just going to have algebra and then all done. And now we go to geometry all done now, like they intersect and they um, are woven together. And the, and a lot of the math applications you might use in algebra can also apply in these pockets. And so I think that's a benefit that students can see the relationship between different types of math applications. Whereas before you took this box, checked it, and then you moved on to the next one, right? Well, yeah, that's what you're saying. Ultimately, you want at the high school level anyway to go, oh, yeah, that well, that's what I want to use I here wanna, anyway. Yeah, I want to see the connections and how do you figure them out rather than like in this one situation, you're going to do this one formula and then you'll never do it again, right? But that that is a very large change and shift in teaching practices and students learning practices that has been pretty entrenched for quite some time about like, especially in math, you have these sections and no touchy. And so now having them kind of blended together, I again, go back to my statement, but then on your tests, you don't always have that, those, those nationwide tests, right? Like they, it's, they don't recognize. The I always thought that too, because I always thought to myself, if you could get a really, really, uh, a, a really full of energy, just charismatic math teacher, you could teach such math mm -hmm. concepts to the ordinary student. I mean, it, it would take effort. I mean, you know, but you know, those teachers, they could teach almost anything to anybody because they can teach and math. I, I, I personally think I could teach like, if I can teach five five different ways to somebody, I can reach him. 
and I yeah. feel confident. With math, it's like maybe one, if any, two, and I feel okay. So that's why I don't teach math. So if you can get somebody who can teach math five different ways to somebody, wow, what a math teacher, because there's nobody that will really get out of there without really understanding what they're trying to get to them. I and, think the, and the bright, yeah. vibrant, rich environment of a math classroom. Wow, what a place to be. And that's what... I don't think that the issue is whether or not they don't understand it. Because if they're passing the class and they're moving forward, then they do understand it. I mean, they have to be scaffolded. Just and Christy said, just as a foreign language, yeah. correct? Yeah. How would you do a state? Te- how would you do state testing or even national testing on a foreign language? And the reason why I'm asking that is because math is a language, and if you're looking for nuances, same thing. Am I making sense here? Right. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So how would you do that? I mean, is that something that they need to be able to do? So let's say that they give the student a problem and then the student has to solve that problem that's right there. And maybe they do something that would be, let's call it a refresher question, where the student has to do something that goes back to basic algebra one. And then the next question builds a little bit on that. And then they continue on so that if a student Let's say that a student hasn't taken a math class their junior year and they last had geometry. Um, my first high school that I went to, when I when we moved the middle of my junior year, I was absolutely horrified to find out that I had to do a third year of math. <laughs> and because I had been dancing, I had been celebrating my junior year because I was out of math. So... Can I do algebra one? Yeah, I can. But part of that too is, and I could also do geometry. I figured that out and I had no idea that it was actually inside my head until there was a refresher for me before I took another national exam. What does it take for students to have to get to, to get back to that knowledge? Because a lot of that, would you say that the late, that the knowledge then becomes latent? And that it's just sitting in the back corners of their mind and it just needs to be evoked? I mean, it kind of depends on what level of math the student is at and then what is the level of the assessment asking them to do, right? So that's hard. it's a hard yeah. question to answer about that one. So I think, well, instead of a bubble, maybe maybe they need to be able to write something out. And demonstrate the way that the state tests used to be was you would get example with the writing. I mean, when they used to do the state test for writing, when they used to do the state test for math, you had to solve on Mm -hmm. that page. And so you had to demonstrate your work. That's where kids could actually Mm -hmm. demonstrate their knowledge. Putting in a bubble that could be dependent upon whether or not it's a trick question and they're asking these questions that are very closely aligned and they're looking for something very exact. Depends on the mental fatigue of the student at that time. Depends on whether or not the kid, I mean, it's all Mm -hmm. variable. There are so many variables that go into that because you look at the other 86 to 99% of the impact on student outcomes that happen outside of the building and any number of those could be affecting the way that that student takes that test. Can they retake the test? No. 
unless it's like an SAT or an ACT, then yeah, they can. For some kids, though, that's that's an that's an expense that they can ill afford. Yeah, those, yeah. So then it becomes then it becomes an equity question. So and maybe they shouldn't be making billions. Maybe they should be able to have scholarships for kids to take those. So my question is, is it the testing that should be changing or is there something in the classroom or do you think it's a combination? I think it's a combination two? for sure. I think the other, the other thing that was kind of popping into my head, kind of the first part of that is, you know, we, because of the sequencing required of this content, right? I need to master this before I can go on to that next level. But our school system is built on everyone's going to master it at the same time. And, we're, and then we're all going to be done. Yay. And then we're going to move on to the next step. And that if a student is having a problem, right, how how can we make sure that they get the content, but know that it's not going to be the same pace as everybody else? Not everyone is going to master algebra one in one year. And then next year, I'm all everyone is the same pace. Right. And that's how most high school curriculum goes right you just have this amount of time and chunk 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 um and it's so much harder to be able to provide the opportunity for them to get a grasp on that topic right as opposed to like hey we're all going to read a novel and then we're going to discuss it and in the class and so you're hearing it auditorially and you've got lots of time to devote to different parts of the character and you're able to kind of you know, it just happens organically, but math is more like we've done this. Okay. Next week we're focused on this topic. And then next week we're going to build on that. And we're going to go to this next topic. And if you're a student that has either a fixed mindset against math, I can't learn math. They have a math disability. It takes them longer to process. They need more repetition. The system's kind of built against them a little what bit. About... And you get to a formalized test and they're like, crap, I can't do this in 90 minutes. I freak out, you know? But why why does the assessment need to be done in 90 minutes? Because not everybody processes oh. that way. And it doesn't mean that they're an idiot. It doesn't mean that they don't understand. It just means that there are yes. different components that need to be put into place. I completely agree. Um, in, a in a completely different way. And so, again, equity. Um, my other question, it, and, and owing to that, let's say that we do a concept. Let's say we do two or three concepts at the end of... X number of concepts, we are going to do a project mm -hmm. where the student is going to take one of different projects that are or choices that are presented to them. And then they have to explain their process in answering that. Let's say it's a story problem. And so they need to figure out first because there are steps mm -hmm. to a story problem. One is what is the useful information that you have? And the second one is, what is it asking right. you to do? And then you go through and you do it step by step. And if you can explain those, and what that does is it reconfirms in your brain what it is that you're actually doing and, and what this is all about. And it's sort of like putting together a mm -hmm. puzzle. It's kind of like when we had to do proofs in geometry, which I'm going to tell you right now. I was a disaster <laughs> at proofs. I could not do them. Yeah. I really could not. The day I had, I, you know, 
I don't know if I talked about this at any point, but I just remember one night I wasn't getting it and I was on the phone with Karen Basta and we were talking about the geometry and all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh. And we realized, oh, I th we think we have it. We really think we have it. And so we went into class just triumphant the next day. And Mr. Utter, that poor man from Australia, who was um, a visiting teacher, he, for us that semester, because he decided that we were hopeless, <laughs> um, he, he asked for the answer of that. And this is back when you could go up to the board and write the answers down. And I raised my hand, I went up there and I put it down and there was dead silence in the class. And I turned around and there was Karen and she was beaming from ear to ear and everybody else was sort of like, um, it was kind of like they had just seen my entire person melt in front of their eyes. I mean, it was like this weird stare. And Mr. Utter said, can you explain that to me? And I said, sure. And Karen's still beaming. And I'm like, I got Karen behind me. And apparently we were the only two in this class that got it. <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't. We were the only two who didn't get it. So, yeah. Um, but this is how you learn is you, you have to make some, you have to make a mistake. So um, you have to remember that success is never final. And that a failure is never the end. And that's, an, yeah, that's mean, another huge yeah. mindset that math has a right answer and a wrong answer. So if I don't get the right answer, right? Like there's this, this feeling of failure. And so yeah. that is just such a difficult mindset to overcome, especially by the time, you know, we've, if they're coming into high school, right? They've had nine years of... I, you know, I suck at math. I can't do math fast enough. I can't memorize it fast enough. And so therefore mm -hmm. I can't learn math. And so we have a lot of unpacking to do with a lot of our students, not all of them. Some of there's like some students fly with that kind of expectation. I can do memorization and I can solve it. Mm -hmm. And I just have that, that analytical ability, you know, right. And then boosh, off I go into honors math and, and they're great. Um, but right. that fixed mindset is just so ingrained in a lot of students, like you said. And then for us to be able to be like, no, there's different ways you can solve this. And, you know, what? No. Like you may see it this way, and but you can also solve it this style. And, you know, you ultimately should get to an answer. But like I might take a different path than Tony will and Philip will. But we'll get to the same answer at some point. And that's very hard for a lot of students who just want that like spoon feed me the math and I will spit out an answer to you because that's what I've done for the previous eight years. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's part of the problem that we have today is that too many people think of things in, in yeah. black and white and or right or wrong, or this is, this is how it has to be. And it's rigid. Yeah. It's, it's locked in in stone and it's not because they can right. do it in different ways. That's where UDL, Universal Design for Learning, might yeah. ha, um, come and play a part. But let's let's backtrack from high school. And so let's say that we're in elementary school. And maybe a student just isn't developmentally inclined yet to right. do the math for whatever reason. And maybe they didn't have the right stimuli when they were when they were 
be pre pre I'm going to say preteen uh-huh. pre K. And so how do we hook those kids up because are they going to be necessarily slower developmentally or can they catch up is there any thing with brain work that says that a student who is not exposed and is not stimulated with any kind of let's call them academic um games etc 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 can they catch up with the others um or is that going to be a real gritty kind of trial for them and what happens in the elementary school that where the teachers explain to students that you're not bad at math you just don't understand right. it yet and you just haven't found your way of finding it and working with that so the students are constantly trying to find their way and sure that can be fatiguing but and then as they go through that's the same thing instead of this you're right you're wrong and i think nobody wants to be told that they're wrong and after a while when you're told that you're constantly wrong and that you just can't get things then you do tend to throw your hands up in the air and say why bother yeah do you think that that do you think that that those things in the elementary level at the elementary level do you think that that could be causing some of this as well because we did have so much emphasis put on the math and the other core subjects i mean look at that we had to do the mm-hmm. core standards we have all these state standards we've already had everything siloed and it's all about test scores test scores test scores test scores and do you think that we lost sight of looking for the beauty and what it is that we do as teachers and look for some of the patterns and try to find different elements and different ways of looking at that so that we can hit every student. I think there are a couple systems that we as a educational system and then just as a cultural system are battling. One is at the elementary schools, um, and this is, does not mean like that every school in the entire country is doing it this way, but there are lots of s- districts and schools that like, I'm going to take this group of math students and work with them. And, you know, remember they used to give them like kind of cute names. These are the cheetahs. And then this group over here, I'm going to work with, you know, they're going to do this kind of, you know, right. They're separating them. Right. They're the mini marshmallows. <laughs> cheetahs and marshmallows. Right. Um, and we, we as educators understand that, that it's sometimes easier if you take your whole group that's kind of at the same level and I work with them, I can kind of review and keep get that whole group. We understand that the ease of that is, right, there's, there's a lot of simplicity and ease to that when you have your kids group together. But the kids know, like it takes them about two nanoseconds to realize I'm in the smart group and I'm in the slow group. And that is extremely difficult to undo that label, right? It does not, they are not dumb. And so they figure that out very quickly. And so now I'm, then I become tracked. I can't get out of my marshmallow group or my cheetah group or my, you know, apples and oranges or whatever. And so that happens for a long time. The other thing that I think we battle is that, um, you hear this all the time too, is that parents will say, that's not how I learned math. Why can't we get to the more traditional math instruction 
that what they grew up with. This is how I learned it. Very rote, right? That kind of, I teach it, you spit it out thing. And so it's extremely hard sometimes that if you get some pretty vocal communities that don't like it or don't understand it or don't embrace it, then that's very hard as well. And I'm just thinking about the last time we adopted new curriculum and everyone was like, we had some local school meetings and that is not exclusive to this area that happens all the time so that's another thing to come back but you know if you had parent leaders and some other parents that came in and they were and they were tutored in a sense on Mm -hmm. this new map so they could understand how it worked because usually people people are against things because one they have bad information two Mm -hmm. they're terrified there's something and and usually the terrification is that a word <laughs> terrification. Terrification. It is now. I like it. There we go. The terrification that creates this is them not understanding and 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 fear. Because how are they supposed to help their kids if they don't understand what's happening and this is all so foreign? And maybe I wasn't so hot at math back then, and now you're making me look like an idiot right. in front of my kids. So why can't we have something, and we have the technology to do it now, why can't we do an open online class where parents can be involved in doing some seminars where they learn how to do these? Why, why don't the math book, textbook companies talk about um, doing some kind of flipped learning for the parents? So they could be doing know, that right? as well. I mean, yes. I mean, they have the money to do it. They should be doing it. So, but if they can start doing that at the elementary level and start bringing it up, and <laughs> and we get into this, it's the same thing as trying to tell everybody that they're going to go to college. And for some of them, that's great. But you know, for a lot of my students, that's that's huge pressure for them, and they don't even know what they want to do. So, um, and don't, let's not get into this thing of, we need to have kids figure out what they want to do at an early age. That's not going to work either, but we can figure out how they're going to make those connections when they go shopping, if they're going to go to the grocery store, if they're going to go to the movies with their friends and they only have X number of dollars, if they're going to have to buy a bicycle, if they want to buy a longboard. I mean, there are all these little things, you know, maybe... Christy wants to buy Yay! a candy bar. And, <laughs> and mom says, you know what, Christy? I have $10. Now, here's the cost of all the, uh, these different things that I have to buy. How are we going to get the rest of the money? And, Christ, and Christy cannot dip into the pocket of the person mm-hmm. in front of them to try to get yeah. the rest of the money. But, you know, there's other things. And maybe that gets into the cost effectiveness of how much does each thing cost per ounce? And then they find the best buy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are a lot of different things that you can do with it. But um, I think what I'm saying is we just start trying to find different kinds of projects, different kinds of ways for students to start doing the problem solving when they're younger. There's no reason why they can't. Right. Because the age of the age of reason is six years old for well, it used to be. I don't know. Maybe now it's twenty five, but um, <laughs> because well, everybody keeps shifting the goalposts, right? 
I mean, we, we have these helicopter parents who still think that their 30 year olds are incapable of getting a job. Um, and they don't expect anything of them. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's frustrating on all kinds of levels. But if we can get students to start doing that at the early levels and then bring it up and everybody follows suit and we don't just, and we give a math curriculum more than 18 years so that we can actually see the longevity of, of the practice of something like that, that would be wonderful. Or am I walking a plank off a pirate well, ship? You said, it, you said it before, it's a language. Um, yeah. I, I never even understood that until long after high school, long after I started trying to avoid it. Uh, and long after I um, took college French and, and did it poorly, although got good grades and, and forgot how to speak French and actually went to France, started speaking it and got politely told, oh, no, I speak English. It's okay. You know, so, <laughs> it's, uh, so it's all been proven that I am terrible at languages, but yeah, no one that is proof. That. Yeah, um, and when so I when I explain wow. it to kids, I go, it's it's a language, it's a language of the universe, is what it is, and um, I'm terrible at languages, mm -hmm. so that explains that. But there it is, that's what it is. And they, what well, is what it is. well, no, you just don't understand it, and you don't understand how to put put it together for yourself. But it's helpful to know that before you start learning it, that's a context. That's what you're actually learning. No one ever really told me mm -hmm. what it was I was learning. Well, I worked with somebody who said that, and I read, started to read a lot of different books and they all stated about mathematics is about patterns. Yeah. A lot of it is. But, but the issue is, but the issue is you need to be able to identify those patterns. And so that's where, that's where the rote learning comes mm -hmm. in at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you move through that and then you start understanding because you have a basic fundamental knowledge of what those patterns are. And you're able to start making some, I assessments, making some, uh, not adjustments, but assumptions about how things should be. Like if I give you a, a number order, it's easier once you can reach into your brain and pull out the context of those numbers. And so you can see that it's in series of threes or fours or that they change here and there and that, 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 that. And then there were those ridiculous ones that were on um, Facebook all the time. I'd say, can you solve this math problem? And then they would, they would switch the rules all the time. So that's the part. That's the oh, one the that order of operations. That but, one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I think that I don't know. Um, I did speak with some math teachers too, other math teachers yeah. besides you, Christy. <laughs> and they said that they believed that the curriculum that they were teaching had. The connections all built in and they said well look at the activities what we do and i'm thinking you're not putting two and two together oh that's bad that's not oh, bad, bad. go ahead <laughs> it's a math joke people i know <laughs> oh oh you did i say didn't something put two and two together right <laughs> oh okay it's been a very long day um 
<laughs> yes. Okay. That'll it's, be edited. You know, it's a good joke when you have to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to right. the person who said it. No, keep the um, math pun in there. Keep, <laughs> keep the math pun in. Okay. 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 We'll keep all of this in. <laughs> oh, you can't edit that out. Maybe. Maybe it depends on what kind of no mood I'm in. Um, okay. So how do you, okay. So let's say that you put in the context of an EMT and you have to do something with an EMT. And so you put that in there and that's a story problem. Okay. And so it's an, you know, a cause and effect kind of thing. Maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know if you, you know, you start putting these things in and all of a sudden they realize, oh, these are real life applications that go in here. And that would be the connection, yeah, not yeah. the connection from an experiential, like when they do the parabola by shooting a rocket in the air, they throw a boomerang, they do whatever they do. I mean, mm -hmm. all that's all that's wonderful. But the question is, what are the real life connections between what I'm learning here today and let's say cooking? I can use algebra all the time in my cooking. If I tell you that we need to change a recipe because Aunt Edith is bringing over her seven children and we are only making dinner for mm -hmm. four, now you have to, you know, you can't just double the recipe. You have to figure that part out. So, you know, just starting off with stuff like that or the shopping, or you could do something with cars. You could you're, get... you're assuming that you're just doing the bare minimum. I mean, somebody, some people really like to geek out. So if they add a well, certain they can... spice to a dish, what's that going to do to the dish as an entire taste experience? You know, some people really well, that's go more chemistry. That. Yeah, but some people really that's get more into of a chemistry that sort thing. Of thing. Yeah, you know, on a whole yeah, they can thing. they can do that for extra credit. Yeah, they that's extra that credit. That's like over the. That's an A plus plus. You should really do this after high school, don't you think? Yeah. That's like you injecting a little bit of cayenne pepper into your IV for your patient to see whether or not they feel like being oh, spicy. Boy. Yeah, I think they'll wake up a little. Sorry, bit more. they're sweating on the brow. Why do they sweat on the brow? But I don't know. Okay, so let's. Let me review what I've got and you interject and you tell me if I have am doing, if I missed anything or if um, I read something wrong. Standardized tests are a bubble. There's nothing nuanced about it. And math needs to be nuanced just as a language would be, correct? Yeah. And, and even like, here goes another tangent, right? Like then looking at what the, the, the wording and the examples, right, that goes into that grading for equity and having it be um, culturally responsible, right? So, I mean, that's a whole nother thing, but right. that's a big part of it that has been mentioned and discussed at all the levels, district, school, nationwide, right, about how how equitable and appropriate are the examples that are being used on these standardized tests. But go, yeah. Right. Also, start with the history. Get Start with the child's history of learning. And that should be that from the very beginning, we start working with the students to get them to understand, not necessarily to only memorize 
but understand that math is something to be understood, not gotten. I mean, yes. I never got it. That's because you didn't understand it. I know. <laughs> I, I, I know that some people say you get it, meaning do you understand? But this is two different things. One is I'm grabbing a hold of the concept. And the second one is I'm not sure I understand the concept. And it may, I was talking to a student today <clears throat> and he was talking about how this one math teacher started explaining things to him about math. And he said, you know, it, this was my junior year. And all of a sudden this teacher starts making, it starts explaining things. And he said, all of a sudden it became brilliantly clear. And I said, really? And he said, they were the best math teacher in the world. And so I discovered who this math teacher was. And I was really surprised because this was a math teacher that so many students stated that they were not able to learn anything from because they didn't like the teaching style. They didn't like a lot of things about this teacher. And uh, the teacher was here for a very long time. And there were some students that could either, they, they danced at her language for the math or else they were like wallflowers that just could not move and could not hear the music of the math. They found it someplace else in order to be able to do it. So I think two, I think another, another thing is that there have to, I don't know, I don't know how we say this, but not all teachers speak the right. same language when it comes to speaking math, because they all have their own perceptions of it. They have their own way of of explaining it to them. And so if you can go into multiple intelligences and universal design for learning, then you're going to be able to find other ways to express it. Maybe students should be expressing once they understand it, how do they express that? And that gives you a notebook of ways to explain it to other students. So you could, if somebody's not getting it, then you could give them that book and they could look through it and maybe something there would, you know, suddenly crack the code. Yeah. Well, that took a long time. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Philip's looking all sour. Good points all. No, yeah. I was I was thinking of the example. I've heard that story too. Yeah. A teacher that could reach like half the class really well and the other half is like, I hate this teacher. Um, yeah, that, which, exactly. Which kind of works with math. I guess it's a, it's a, it's definitely a subject that is to me. It's it was. I can't teach it. I just can't. I even I can't fake it. I look at the book and go, "Oops, sorry." I look well, back and I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to. One of my colleagues is somebody who never really. They said they were never that good at math. They just mm. couldn't really understand it. Yeah. And so when they went to uni, they um, decided they wanted to be a teacher. Mm. And they decided that because they could not understand math, they were going to be a math teacher. Uh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and their 
and their students love them. They absolutely love them. They're tough. They're good. They're caring. And um, I can't say enough good things about this person. So, uh, yeah. So, and I was taught when I was in school, you always want to teach the things that you don't understand that you're not really good at because that way you learn more and you learn about the mm-hmm. learning of it. Interesting, I mean, I think, huh? I mean, that makes Sounds... sense, right? If you don't understand something, if you reach a point where you can explain it to others, right? That's. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you suddenly grasp the, if you suddenly grasp the idea, you haven't struggled through it. So you're not, you're not, you're sure, you're not sure to understand the struggle of others. Right. With my track record of math, I figured there's this phrase, you know, winners never quit and quitters never win. But those that never win and never quit are idiots. And uh, never quit. Wait. That was. I can't, I can't teach math. I would never subject anybody to that. No, I, I have a passion for a lot of subjects. Um, I, I barely clawed my way to get the minimum credits in math through college. It's I do use math, though, conceptually in my life, and I've noticed that all the time. I, I sort of maneuver things and patterns, and, and I work with a lot of X's and Y's and unknowns. Um, and I do tell kids about that. I go, it's my own little mental math. So I do work that way. But um, yeah, I couldn't tell mm-hmm. you how I do that. But it is theirs. So. And I think I also, I, and we also, I also went over the um, idea of giving teacher, giving parents an online course that they can follow so they can understand what's going on. So they have flipped learning at home. So not only am I teaching the students, but I can send that out to the parents as well. So they That's have an that available. Idea. Yeah. And if you have multiple languages, then um, as you go through, maybe you have somebody who can translate it for you. And yeah, that sounds like an incredible amount of work. But if you're doing it year after year after year, then for that concept, and you're working with your other colleagues, to do this so it doesn't have to be just one teacher but you do it together as an apartment maybe you do it as a district and you're able to have those translations done maybe you do it um you get some of them done by the end of the year for the beginning of the year and you start off ahead and you're able to get a lot of those done maybe it's an extra maybe you can get some of those done on um a pre-pre teacher work week and you have those so that when they roll out, there's more than ample time for them to be translated in different languages with closed captions or what have you, and they can go out. So um, just something. And then same thing with the elementary school. So, you know, what kinds of what kinds of ways are you expressing that? What kinds of ideas are you using to connect the math so that students not only have an experience, but they kind of remember how they put those things. And if it's a real life thing, for example, I use, I use math every time I go shopping and I'm putting things together in my head and I'm trying to add, I'm trying to do percentages right. off. What's that going to be? So, I mean, that's yeah. the thing that students, and, I tell you know, my kids all the time, you're doing math all the time. You just don't realize you're doing math all the time. 
you're doing math when you're figuring how much time mm -hmm. you need to get ready in the morning so I can catch the bus. That's that's math. And then you're figuring out how much money you have in order to purchase this. That's more math. And then you're right. Everything. It's super fun. Uh, relates back to math throughout your day. Um, but there's different levels of it for different people. Right. And so it just depends on. Right. And you're right. Like having it be applicable and situational that the kids can connect to would be wonderful. That's it's not always feasible, for you know, <laughs> and if the right and if right. And if we could do and if they could do maybe a combination concept project. Yeah. So let's say you're doing algebra one, you teach the first three concepts, you give them a word problem. It's something that they can do collaboratively and, but they each have to do their own um, or something, or they work on it and then they come up with it. And maybe it's not dictated that they have to have it finished by the end of class, but you're able to look at it by the end of the class to see where they are. And that way you can assess how well your students are understanding what you need to review because testing is more about you assessing yourself rather than assessing your students. Because if your students are not getting it, there's something wrong in the water that you're parsing out to drink. Right. And I, and that example that you yeah, gave here, at here. the beginning is why we have, um, you know, like those, um, the construction math. I think that's a wonderful way to do it, right? You're learning all about yeah. so much math, but you're learning it in a real applicable not just a skill too, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm learning these skills, but the math makes sense. I do need to understand angles and congruent angles and supplementary, but I'm not doing it on a worksheet. I'm building stairs, right? And these angles have to be, right. you know, I have to figure out degrees and like all that stuff, which is great. Um, and so I love those kind of programs, which, you know, hello, coming back to alt ed, right? Those are wonderful mm -hmm. ways to have it happen. So, right. Exactly. So I'm going to circle back to something Philip said earlier, which was, Philip, how did you learn how much you would put in for what, in what situation as an EMT? How did all of that come off the top of your head? What was the, what, what was the strategy? What were, what was it that did that? What was your MO? Well, the first thing is that it was the drug, the conditional use of the drug. So the use of the drug dictated, or that the, the so one drug. How did you learn it though? Oh, I was the drug was dictated by protocols. So if I use dopamine, but how did you learn milligrams? How did I use? Oh, I was, yeah, I I did the math in my head. We just worked it on. There's a book called Math for Meds, <laughs> and we did worksheet after worksheet, and I dictated through that. I just did the mathematics over and over again, and. There was a test. And okay. Yeah. And then I so had it's to pretty much wrote. certification. Yeah. And then as I applied it, depending on body weight, yeah, I would then, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if I had a patient that was of a certain weight, I would just titrate the dose up or down. Yeah. If it was a pediatric, at the okay. highest level of paramedic, you had to do a pediatric dose. And that's where the doses got really crazy, where you had to get really fine with them. But yeah. But was that, was that again by rote memory or was that through application? Uh, it was by rote memory, but dis discretionary by weight. So if I had a patient that was under a certain amount of pounds or I, I made a certain call based upon the conditions, but if I made like a 
a call that the patient was generally speaking a certain weight and condition, I would apply that, that, that dose. Yeah. So, okay, so I had a lot of doses in my head. <laughs> let's put it that way. It wasn't, let's put it that way. It wasn't like by rote, I'd say I didn't memorize all those doses. There was a working knowledge of all those doses and I, I just applied mm-hmm. them as necessary. So yeah, I got good at it. Let's put it that way. Okay. So in other words, that was there, but you still had to use the nuance because it's not cut and dry as far no, as doing everything. So absolutely not. Never so that's where the testing. Right. So the testing was actually a life or death situation in many cases, correct? Yeah, there was the instant feedback. Yeah. If I if I did it wrong, someone could die. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty important yeah, stuff, heart right? That's so wonky and things like that. That's yeah. Pretty, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty spontaneous yeah, feedback, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, and then yeah. if it wasn't spontaneous, there was peer review. Why did you give that drug and at what dose? Why did you give that dose? Oh, yeah. There was mm-hmm. always a peer review a couple weeks so, later they go through it. And then practice and practice and practice and practice. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Perfect. Um, okay. I think we are yeah. out of time. I think we covered a lot, though. I think so, too. Yeah, I think we did. I think we did. So I think um, we determined that a yeah. lot of the problem might be with the tests. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think a lot of, well it could be. It could just be with the application of, of of the rollout and the delivery system of the math and how yeah. we expect students to come back with it and also um the longevity of the you can't do math because mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be easy. Um and then maybe not separating kids into bluebirds and marshmallows. Um, <laughs> Stigmatizing them early. Right. You can't do math from the age of 10 on. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. Well, I re- Yeah. Well, I was stigma. put in, I was put in one, I was put in one of those lower groups in sixth grade and I knew I was, and I didn't even give a second thought to it. Cause I thought, yay, now the pressure's off. And I got home and my mom found out what group I was in. And I just told her the name and she, she was furious. <laughs> and she said, why are you in that one? And I said, cause I wanted to Why are to you be- a marshmallow? <laughs> I wanted you to be a falcon. I think it was more like a cookie. I think I was more of a cookie sprinkle, oh, but boy. anyway. Um, rubbing it up. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> I wanted so, to be a anyway. predator, not a baked good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to wrap up. So I hope that we were helpful and and full of any ideas, insights. And if you have any others, please share them in the comment section. And as always, please subscribe. We love hearing from you. And I appreciate every one of you coming to see us. And we will see you again next week. Same time, same channel. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Aloha.